Oeherema Yorana. You're listening to Tereva Neyao, the only podcast currently documenting the voices and lives of Tahitian American families and couples, the long distance, the love stories, our lives between Tahiti and the United States of America. We present to you Tereva Neyao. Hey, Yorana, everyone. Welcome to episode five of Tereva Neyao podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and today's guest on the show is my good friend, Steve Rivera. Steve is well known throughout the Polynesian dance community, especially here in the U.S. He's also partner and spouse to Moinao, who was born and raised in Tahiti. Together, they raised their very talented half-Tahitian daughters, Nanihi and Moihiti, in Southern California. Steve is also the amazing co-founder of Porineti Adventures Travel Agency, as well as Polylingual, the first online platform for learning Tahitian language outside of French Polynesia. I met Steve back in 2015 through my wife's uncle, Matani Kainuku. And then both my wife and I met Moinao in 2017, just a few months after Vera arrived here in the U.S. Through the years we've tried navigating our life here in America, both Steve and Moinao have shown us so much support and through being friends with them, as examples, both my wife and I have seen that it is possible to find a good balance living with our different cultures and raising our sons outside of Tahiti. I hope you all enjoy Steve and I's discussion as much as I did. Here we go. Steve, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today, this morning with me. Um, and we're just going to get right into the questions. Can you tell me a little about yourself um, from childhood, being raised in the U.S., and your involvement in Polynesian culture, but specifically Oriteti? Uh, okay, sure. So I was uh, growing up here. I was born and raised here in Orange County, Southern California. For those of you guys who don't know where the OC is, you know, it's the, the heart of California. I'm sure a lot of people will differ, especially Ryan up from the Bay Area. But uh, yeah, I'm from down here, way down south in Orange County between San Diego and LA. And a lot of people kind of locate us by Newport. So we're about 10 or 15 minutes from Newport Beach, right by the ocean. Um, I grew up my life going to the ocean, loving the ocean. And, and uh, of course, being so close to the ocean, you have a lot of uh, events that are produced uh, by the Oriteti community, mostly in the festival forms. You know, at my school specifically, I went to Catholic school uh, since preschool and all the way through my high school years. But my elementary school always had a festival and the festival always had Polynesian dancers. You know, we had the typical Polynesian show where they dance Hawaiian, Tahitian, Maori, all that stuff, fun stuff. But um, I loved it. It just always uh, attracted me. I just always loved it. I just always felt this uh, connection to it. And but I was a total not introvert, but I was really shy when I was growing up when I was young, uh, shy to be in front of people, not shy to talk with people. I was the type of person to always make friends. Uh, before you would come up to me, I would know already your whole background and I had no problem conversing with people. But the minute you told me to go up and stand in front of a mic, uh, that's it, lights out, frozen. At the end of the show, typically there's like an audience participation factor in it where they come out and get audience members to come up and like mimic them and follow them and try and dance with them. 
you can always find me in the bathroom or somewhere hiding underneath the desk or I already knew when the show was coming to an end and I'd already make my exit well before that so I didn't have to be involved in that. But uh, one of my best friends, you know, since kindergarten, once we got to, I believe it was like seventh or eighth grade, his mom was dancing for two of the biggest groups at the time out here, uh, which was Tiari Productions and uh, Hitia Otera. Um, so she came to a point where she wanted to start her own thing because her daughter was becoming older. You know, her daughter was a dancer with her as well. She had a son, but the son wasn't uh, dancing and she wanted to get him involved in the culture, which is pretty typical with most Polynesians. She was Hawaiian and my friend's name was Kavika. He's Hawaiian and they're Hawaiian Mexican blend. They're a blended family in and of themselves too. So um, of course, like most Polynesians, you, you know, you want to share the culture and you try and find different ways to do that. And they used the catalyst of Polynesian dancing. So the progression was she started her own group. And uh, of course, if they're going to produce any kind of shows or if they're going to go out and do shows, which I guess was the secondary intention, you know. Um, so she needed dancers for her group. And of course, the first, this this was one of my best friends growing up. So Kavika asked me if I would join their group. I'm like, heck no, no way. That's not me. You know me. I'll be hiding. I'll, I'll, I'll go. And we used to be, we used to call ourselves the bouncers. You know, we're, we're the bodyguards for his sister. So we used to go and like scope out the crowd and see who's looking at her. And, you know, is she wearing enough tea leaves to cover her coconuts? And like, you know, dancing was totally not my thing. Uh, baseball was my thing my whole life. So I grew up playing baseball and that was me. If you're asking me if I want to go play in a tournament, sure. I'll be there <laughs> in five minutes, but, uh, to dance no way heck no but uh since it was my best friend you know and he's oh we're just dancing in the living room and it's cool don't worry about it it's just me and my sister and my mom and and uh so we started dance that's where i started uh dancing it was in the the living room of my friend's house after literally maybe two months like not even two months i think i, I had two left feet you know as they say i had two left feet so i was rhythmically challenged uh, physically challenged. I mean, everything challenged, especially when it came to Polynesian dancing. Uh, at first we started with hula and even hula, you know, just vamping and, and it was a hard thing for me. So, but they threw us out there right away because since she had these connections with all these different groups, they had shows at that time, you know, the Polynesian world entertainment world was huge, still is, but back then it was really huge. Uh, there were shows all the time, not only on the weekends, but during the week. So uh, she got us out there right away. And she had a friend that used to, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend that danced with these groups. And uh, they asked us to uh, to join them uh, in dancing with them. So next thing I know, I find myself in a park dancing a dance that I can barely move to. And I just learned like a couple days before. And I think everybody shares the same story when they started in Polynesian dancing. It's like, okay, you just learned that. Okay, go out there. You're dancing in front of 5,000 people. So I learned to drop that shyness very quickly. And uh, it actually pushed me to the opposite end of the spectrum. You know me today. You can't get me off the mic or off the stage. You know, it was his mom was the only one that was teaching us. So it got to a point where she's, you know, where we started doing Oriteti and she, she said, you know, there's only so much I can teach you. I'm Hawaiian and I know hula and, you know, hula is, is pretty gender neutral and I can teach you guys the boys part and the girls part. But now since you guys are dancing the Oriteti, there's some uh, aspect of masculinity that you need in it, you know, especially for the, for the tane. 
And uh, so I have somebody that's going to teach you guys. You guys are going to go see them. And okay, great. And this was one of the persons that I looked up to the most in the, the Oriteiti or Polynesian entertainment field. He actually was dancing with Hitia Otera, uh, Uncle Alex De Curio. And uh, it was, a, there were twins, Samoan twins. And these are like, if you think of Dwayne Johnson or The Rock, you know, these were the rock, but they're dancing and they're twins. So it's impressive. First of all, to see one guy like this of this stature and, you know, charisma, but two of them and they look exactly the same. They're twin brothers. Like, whoa, it's impressive. Anytime they put on a show, all the attention was on them. And I think that was the part of me, the shyness part of me, like dreaming, like, oh, I want to be like them because I'm so shy and I wish I can dance on stage. And it was him. You know, his name was Masi Awelua. So uh, we started going to him and he started teaching us uh, Tahitian dance. Of course, you're in, in shock and awe and you know, I can't believe I'm learning from one of my idols. And, you know, so it was great, but he was very busy. He had kids and, uh, and he was teaching them. He was a football dad. So his attention was in football. So then we kept getting passed on. Then, you know, they, uh, her name's Donna Avila. You know, uh, I keep saying her, 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 but my friend Kavika's mom, her name is Donna. And she said, well, you know what? I have a friend and they just started a dance group. They need dancers. So you're going to go learn dancing from them. But as a trade, you're going to do shows with them. I'm like, oh my gosh, shows. Okay. So we started going over there. And the first thing we do is show up. Oh, you guys are learning drumming. Uh, okay. I didn't sign up for drumming. <laughs> it's hard enough to dance. And now you want me to drum? Oh my goodness. I can't even follow a beat. Now you want me to play a beat. We started learning, my friend and I, how to drum. And uh, after about two lessons, they said, uh, okay, you guys are not drumming. You guys are going to be dancers. Uh, you know, we're that terrible. And uh, so, yeah, this group was Lokilani's, and everybody knows this group a lot more. Um, I'll just, just to give respect to the first group I danced with, the name of their group was Ola Manahula. So then I started dancing with Roy and Kathy Aswenga. Um, the, actually, the one that started their group, Lokilani, is because, you know, as we always say in the Polynesian community, you know, give respect to everybody who started these groups and everything, those who paved the way. The one that started Lokilani's Rhythm of the Island is Lokilani herself. Uh, we call her Grandma Tutu Broderick, and uh, she is Kathy Aswenga's mo mother. Uh, it was there, I think, that I really found my place in Polynesian dancing. Um, I pointed the lead dancer, you know, as we did so many shows, so you need somebody to be in charge of the boys and even uh, at practices, you know. When you're choreographing so much, you need somebody to remember it, to, to teach it, to make sure everybody's on point, make sure they got their costumes, yada, yada, yada. And eventually I would become the ratira for the group and I would also be a choreographer. And, and that's really what helped push me in my interest in the, the Tahitian culture. I, I eventually found my love in uh, Orero. So I, I loved, of course, the role of ratira. The only downfall to that is I love dancing. And as a ratira, you're not 100% in the choreography of the dancing. You're in and out, which I love. You know, I'm fully in the role as a ratira when I am. And I find every second I can to jump in and, you know, be part of the boys when they dance. But, I, I, you know, I love being part of that group of boys and everything. But uh, eventually I fell in love with, uh, with uh, the Reo Teiti and I found my place as the ratira in many groups. Then I started being solicited by other groups, you know, to choreograph, to 
do the atira for to write themes, to write songs, to translate. Uh, as I said, baseball was my life. At that time, I was working for the Angels. I worked for the Angels for about 14 years. And every year in spring training, we would go to Arizona for spring training. And of course, that's like, oh man, two months without dancing or doing anything. So one year I saw that they had a festival in Arizona. It's a huge festival that they have every year in the Phoenix area. And uh, so I went to the festival and I saw this group dancing. They were so awesome. And hey, wow, they're actually dancing Oriteiti too. So uh, I went up and I talked to their kumu and everything. And uh, say, yeah, come out to our, uh, come out to our studio, our halal, and you know, join us. And like, oh, but I'm only here for two months. Oh no, that's cool. You're our California brother. You know, they're very welcoming and everything. So, uh, the name of their group, I have to take a breath before I say it, <clears throat> is Hula Halau Kaimi Kahu Hale Ohula, the one who seeks the house of Hula, uh, led by their Kumu Kaimi Valdez. And uh, I really hit it off with her dad too because he he played Hawaiian music. He was one of the best musicians out there in in the area in Arizona. And of course, I traveled with my Tahitian banjo everywhere I went. So we would go around doing shows and he would go to his practices and he had like his own little ukulele club. So I would join them and they just loved it because somebody was playing a, a Tahitian ukulele alongside of them. It's a very different sound than a Hawaiian ukulele. So they loved it. During this whole time, actually, one of the first people that I ever met by default, it's weird, you know. Once you have a connection, how they say, um, you know, one person, you know, everybody in the Polynesian community or in the in the Ori community, we'll say not even the Ori Tahiti, but the Polynesian dance community. It's kind of true. Everything just kind of my whole life just like flipped in that direction. Uh, when I was 16, like, you know, in the middle of all this, when I just had started with Lokelani's, I was working at Chuck E. Cheese. My supervisor, oddly, she was uh, Popolo, you know, she was Meuli Black. And uh, her girlfriend, I guess, was Hawaiian. Her name was Lorelai. And she was doing a show. And since she found out, I think, through our conversation that I was, uh, oh, that's how she found out. Because I used to, uh, when we're sweeping over there, we had these little tiny brooms, like half, maybe a third the size of a regular broom. And as we're like cleaning up at night, closing the store and everything, I used to like practice fire knife with that little broom. <laughs> no One day she, yeah. Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> just like we're in the middle of closing and here I am like flipping a broom and stuff. Oh but one day I had to open and she worked in the mornings and she saw me doing this. She's like, what the heck are you doing? I said, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm a, I'm a fire knife dancer. So I'm just like practicing. And we're, oh, you dance? Oh, yeah. My girlfriend, she dances too. Oh, by the way. She has a show that she's doing this weekend. Do you think you can dance? I'm like, uh, and I still wasn't really like out of my shell at that time. But I was like, oh, this is my supervisor asking me. And I just did this big thing on how I'm a Polynesian dancer. And so I said yes. And so we had a practice for that show that week. And that's the first time I met somebody. They came in and they're like, must have been like 10 or 11 years old. And they said, oh, here's the drummer. I'm like, what the heck? This little kid's going to drum. And then the biggest guy I had ever seen in my life, I'm like, whoa, like so scared of this guy. And he walks in with the biggest smile, biggest teddy bear hug and, oh, aloha, how are you, brother? You know, like totally after being like totally scared of this, this big guy coming in. And that's the first time I met Uncle Titus, Napoleon. You know, he's like really huge in, in the Polynesian community as a musician and he does movies and, and all kinds of stuff. And then um, later to find out, who the drummer is, is, uh, was Tiana Lufel from Nonosina. 
after that, I'll just say the rest is history because after that, uh, one of the dancers from Lokelani's, um, JT Numata, he, he was dancing with Nonosina at the time. He invited me to their practice. And I was like, oh, there's that girl that was drumming last week and then the whole connection. And then the rest is history because the just like the Aswenga family, the Nonosina family became like a second family to me. You know, I was like uh, and I basically we grew up, you know, uh, Mavina and I together. So they became like my second family. So I would do shows with Mavina. Uh, we would do uh, TV shows, music videos and and driving to Hollywood, all these different places together. And we would eventually, uh, he, 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 with boys, you know how it is with boys in the Oriteiti, you know, every time it comes to a competition, there's like a hundred girls and there's like two boys, like what the heck, how are we going to do something with this? So you got to kind of recruit, you know, even if it's just for the show, just like the Hava, you know, people jump right. around. Yes. So anytime it would come to like a competition and he needed boys, he would say, Oh, Steve, come on, hook me up, nice. dance with us. And, so, you know, I would dance with him and, uh, you know, for Nono Sina. So Nono Sina was like my second group, if you could say like that. And, and of course, the Liofel family became my second family. So Tiana and Mivina, they're like my brothers and sisters. They still are. We're really close. And um, I don't like to see it as a career because it's re- I really didn't do it for a career, but my life, I'll say, as a Polynesian dancer. That's a lifestyle. It yeah, a lifestyle it was. And I mean, it, it was and, and is my life since I was about... 12 or 11, I, I would say. And uh, Mavina had a, a tie already to Tahiti. His girlfriend was from Tahiti at that time. And uh, he was going back and forth. He was living there, you know, months at a time and coming back, which gave him a lot of um, experience and a lot of insight into the Tahitian culture, uh, more than most people had at that time. You know, in the competitions, you had to either do your research or you had to have some connection, whether it be a person or to be ahead of the rest, right, in competition. So Mavina found his place in Tahiti, I think, through the personal connections and because he would travel back and forth to Tahiti. So he came to a point where he wanted to also show respect to those who helped him out. And he wanted to take his group, Nonosina, to Tahiti to to put on a, a show to to show this love, you know, for, for the culture and for those people who helped him. So of course, since I was, you know, actively dancing with them during this time, he said, Oh, we're going to Tahiti. Come on. You know, we need boys. It's always boys, right? We need boys to go. All right, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I never been to Tahiti and I've been dancing about it all these years. And who doesn't want to see the place that they're dancing about, you know, or where it comes from. And yeah, I'll love it. So I jumped on board and I, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you the exact number of how many of us went, but there had to be at least at least 200 dancers, maybe more. First time there, it was like, wow, we, we got the best of the best. You know, we got to dance at Tuata, which is an honor not too many people get. We put on our, our own show. It was like a three-hour show. We got to meet and dance for one of my idols before I even went to Tahiti, but just because I loved choreography, because I loved dance because I love thinking out of the box because I love the culture because I love tradition you know there's a balance you know people talk about all tradition and modern and and all this through the mind of a choreographer or through the mind of somebody who loved the culture that's that's how I saw this guy and you know I'm not very much at looking up at people we're all in this together right we're all choreo you're a choreographer I'm a choreographer oh you're a dancer I'm a dancer but you know some people just touch you a little bit differently 
but uh, seeing all the dances in the Haven and everything made by this person, all the songs, I don't think there's one song that I don't like. And then all of a sudden, I didn't even know we're meeting them. And they're like, okay, we're dancing over here for some very special people. They wrote one of our songs and uh, we're going to dance for them. Okay. So we drove like halfway around the, the island to Papiari and we danced for Coco, Jota Jota. And Samuel Tuahu, he's the counterpart, the work with Coco to, uh, to write a lot of their songs. And Esther, Tefana. So Esther, she's like, I would say she's the happy mix that I, I find in Tahitian songs. Totally traditional with the taste of modern. You know, she always has her little reverb and echo and, you know, little, little Hawaiian flares and stuff like that. So these three top people like ever, I'll, I'll say ever. And I don't think there's too many people that will challenge that by saying oh, ever. Come on. Imagine this young kid. I think I don't even remember how old I was at that time. I had to be like 18 or it was just an amazing trip. And uh, of course, when you go over there, it's not so easy to travel with a huge group, right, to Tahiti and not know what you're doing and not have any help. Well, that wasn't the case because, of course, since Mavina already had that tie to Tahiti, he also had a family through his girlfriend, right? When you're married or even just friends of a family in Tahiti, you're family. You know, there's no, there's no, oh, the outsider or the whatever. No, you're family. So Mavina had his family, I'll say, in Tahiti, which came strong with like hundreds of people to help us. You know, there wasn't just like one or two. They, they rolled deep. So um, I became very close with those same families since I was close with Mavina. So while everybody was like staying at hotels, me and Mavina were like staying at their houses and, you know, stuff like that. And, and I'll just blanket it by saying, you know, in the years following, I would go back to Tahiti on my own, you know, with or without Mavina, and I would stay at their house and everything too. But uh, one of these people, the aunts in the family, and her name is Vanina. So Vanina, she, uh, I became really super close with her family. I, she had kids at that time, so I became very close friends. And since I didn't speak French, zero, at that time, I printed out a sheet for myself, like basic phrases in French. And uh, I just found it easier to speak in French. So I was like, je ne parlez pas français. Uh, <laughs> come on, come on, come on to tapele. You know, that type of deal. I have to pause you there and just say yeah. about your French. Um, that's one thing Vera always tells me. She's like, you know how your French sounds? You have a thick accent. You need to sound like Steve. She oh, always, my goodness. No. <laughs> because, <laughs> because when you when you have like, and then when we sit around the table, then, uh, then after that time, she said that after one of the first trips we hung out with you guys, then I was like self-conscious, right? Because I was like, Moinao, Vera, and apparently Steve speaks very fluently. And oh, I was my like, gosh. And my French is like, baby. But I, I do look up to that because I'm thinking, but it took you that long, right? So I like hearing how you tell me you start with like a, a little sheet, right? <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I will. And thank you, Maruru Vaidea. But uh, I'll actually stop you right there. And I'll take this moment as a teaching moment and as a friend to a friend and helpful to anybody who's listening. And I'll say this seriously from experience in the Reo Taiti or in French or in any language. You know, here at our house, we speak multiple languages. And I think it's because of that that I pushed myself to learn French and Tahitian. And I have that connection with uh, the Tahitian people because of it, you know. 
it's great. It's great to hear that feedback, especially from because before I was like, eh, eh, this little American is trying to speak French or, oh, he can say Yorana, you know, Aparimon, like, oh, how cool he's trying, eh, eh, you know, that, that's a great word to learn in Tahitian because it really has no uh, translation, but eh, eh means like, oh, Aww. it can mean like yeah. pity you and it can mean like, oh, good for you. And it can yeah. mean a lot of stuff. But right. when you say that, it's just, to me, it doesn't always sound like a good thing. It sounds like, oh, man, I got work to do. You right. know? <laughs> but yeah, for my teaching moment here and my advice, 100%, Ryan, do not 100%, do not try and speak like Steve. You do you. And it's going to be your love. I, your, your love for the Tunisian culture and Real Tahiti is strong enough. Anybody, do not, never try and compare yourself in the Ori Tahiti, in the Real Tahiti, in anything you do, but especially in this area. And this is a very sensitive topic, you know, and a lot of people have comments, I'm sure, about this. Everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their, their own drive behind them. Don't ever try to be like anybody. Coco was my the my biggest idol. Like I, I idolized him so much in the dance, in the reo. I never tried to be like Coco. You will never live up to it. You never will. And not to say that those people are better. They're not. I actually don't see them as better. Everybody is equal, no matter what, 100%. And I'm sure people will argue that, but I'll challenge you to show me otherwise. Why are they better? Why are they better? I can choreograph a dance and take it now and perform on Tuata. You're going to tell me, oh, this group is, can do it better than you. Why? Dance is not about that to show it at its origin. It's not to show, oh, this person, this group is better. It's not a competition, you know? No, it's, it's to not. carry on a language, to carry on a culture, to carry on a tradition. And that's what's at the root of it. The same with the reo. In the, in the reo teiti community, which is worldwide, you know, we can't say, oh, it's only in Tahiti. And language is a form of communication. Whether you say it with an accent, whether you can piece together words, if you can communicate, if you can even try and speak to someone in their own language, that's the highest form of respect, the highest honor you can do to somebody. You're doing your best. Don't let anybody tell you you're doing terrible. You be you, you do you. If you're shy that, oh, I'm not good enough, guess what? Push yourself. You know, don't put this on anybody else. Oh, well, I'll never be as good as Steve. I'll never be as good as Ryan. He's the best. Ra'atira. No, forget that. Ryan is the best he can be. You be the best that you can be. Right. No, That's no. the only way that you're going to progress. Until you drop that, you're never going to progress because you're trying to live up to something that you'll never get to. You'll never, you'll never be me. I'll never be you, Ryan. You know, we'll never be Coco. So right. we, we can't try and live up to that. We live up to our potential and that's good enough for us. If it's not good enough for somebody else, then don't watch my show. Don't right. talk to me. Don't, you know, you don't have to be around me. And that's what it is. And Polynesians, they're not like that. Tahitians, they're not like that. Tahitians are family oriented. They're welcoming. You're sitting at their table as a family. You're not a friend. You know, you're a family if you're in their house. Right. right. So, and everything you do, be yourself. Sorry, there's my rant. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. I, I, I think that, that those are great words, especially for people to hear, right? Because they're not just tuning in to listen to someone's, you know, like love story or visa journey, but also what I hope that they take away from each one. And, and it has been that way so far is, is gaining perspective. Everybody on this show so far um, and will be is it ha has a different investment, right? It's not about money. 
but you're a father to two to Tahitian daughters um, and, a, and a spouse to a Tahitian person. So um, as as much on this sliding scale that people look at and put us on, which is how much are you immersed? It doesn't matter because we live it all the time. So that kind of advice about language and culture is very much welcome. And I appreciate that. I will keep working on my French, though, because <laughs> I think at some point I. I yeah, I'm not saying yeah, don't practice it. You better no, work yeah. your butt and get better, but don't get yeah. better to be like Steve or whatever. No, 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 no. She was just commenting after we had left uh, your house one time and yeah. you know, she was just impressed, right? But as a side note, I will say that, that stuff like that can push you. So it's great, right. you know, and our wives will do that. Trust me. And, you know, that's, that's Vera's language. That's Moynell's language. Of course, when you do something, they're going to correct us or whatever. Same like we do to them when they're speaking English. We're going to correct them, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to tell my wife, oh, you should be like Verea speaking English. You see how she speaks like, oh, hella. You should say hella or you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, you definitely. got your own thing. It's good to help each other. But uh, I, I know our wives really back us up in everything. So, you know, be around people that support you. Even here in the U.S., that's been a big problem because – some people don't have a connection to Tahiti. Right. So they feel like, oh, I'll never be as good as that group because they have a connection. Oh, they speak Tahitian. Oh, they understand Tahitian. No, you're promoting the, the culture in your own way. You know, as long as you're doing it from a good heart and, you know, in a good direction, then there's no such thing as a bad performance or a, a bad intention or whatever, as long as it's coming from a good place. But um, I will say that that's one of the things that I remember the most about Coco is he came here and he stayed with us for two months. And I really got to have a close relationship with him. And that's where I really got into the, the Reo Teiti because he kind of took me under his wing and was teaching me Orero and everything. And, and uh, I remember in the middle of a practice, the practice totally wasn't going good. You know, dancers were not in it. We were being dancers were being dancers, you know, just like goofing off and Coco, he's, he's known for, for being really an artistic guy and all this thing, you know, his, his dances and his songs and all this thing. And, but he's also known for being the biggest, I don't know how to put it lightly on, on a, on a podcast for being a, a really, yeah. a really hothead mean yeah. yes. guy. And uh, he stopped us in the middle of practice. He didn't, he barely spoke English. He spoke English, but he never did. He used a translator when he was here. That's the first time everybody's like, whoa, he speaks English, you know? He stopped us in the middle of dance. He's like, stop, stop. Everybody's like, oh, crap, what the heck? Why you dance? Everybody's like, when they weren't answering, he just kept yelling, why you dance? Holy crap, nobody was answering. And then finally he points at somebody, why you dance? And she's like, um... Uh, because it's good exercise. No! Points out another person. Why you dance? Uh, because my whole family dance. Uh, it's their legacy. No! And then he points at me. Why you dance? And I was like, ah, at the point of tears. I'm like, oh, I don't know what the heck this is. Because I just love it. It's part of me. Yes. Yes. Dance because you love. Dance here. It's almost like a Miyagi moment, right? Yeah. Dance here, not to here. So it's like dance here. Dance love. So if you dance with love, you 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 speak with love, that that's all that matters. And this is come but coming from somebody who 
people look to as a cultural expert or as a cultural practitioner, all this thing. Speak Tahitian because you love it. Dance because you love it. Nothing else. Wow. What a story. What a story. Things come into our life for a reason and a purpose. And, you know, we have to appreciate all those moments because years down the line, and now I really sound like an old person, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be young as long as I can, but now I really sound like an old person when I give this type of advice, but you really don't realize until later, you know, years later, you'd be like, wow, I was really lucky to be able to talk with Ryan on that podcast because I really learned a lot. And, you know, I really had a, a good chance to, to dance with uh, that one girl. Remember when we did that show? Man, that was really good what she taught me. In the moment, you don't realize it. But if you can, really, guys, appreciate every moment because you don't know how much that's impacting you, small or big. It's impacting your whole life, your journey, your whatever you want to call it in, in dance, in life, in, in whatever. So appreciate every moment that you can. So we're talking about my friend Vanina, who was the, the cousin, right, in the family that right, right. Mavina had, had met out there and that I had become part of. Yes. And um, so I was really close with her. So, of course, she's like, now I'm part of their family. And she's like, oh, my, you know, my little cousin here or my little nephew or my friend or whatever you want to say. And she had a best friend. So her friend at work, uh, she worked for Erte Tinui at the time. And uh, so she was inviting her friends, of course, because uh, Nonosina was doing their big show at Tuata, right? So like, oh, inviting everybody, come and watch this group. We're taking care of them. And that's our family from U.S. And, you know, they're going to dance at Tuata. So we had to sell out that show because it's expensive to rent Tuata, right? So we're doing like our promotion. Of course, they're helping us promote. And uh, so she was inviting everybody from Air Nui and especially her friend, right? Her friend that she was really close with at the time. She said, oh, you got to come. Oh, yeah, no, no, see now. They're going to come dance and cool. And, oh, yeah, cool. And you know what? I don't even remember if she came to that show or not. But uh, afterwards, of course, they she had me and Mavina go to her house. Oh, yeah, tomorrow, come to my house for dinner. And, you know, okay, okay, cool, yeah. And that's very typical, right? Like, oh, everybody's fighting for you. Come over here for lunch. Oh, come to our house for dinner. Oh, so okay, we went over to her house. And all of this I found out years later, right? But I guess the whole point of this specific dinner was to match make me and her friend from Erte Itinui. <laughs> and uh, okay. so I, yeah, I thought I was just going, I had been to her house like a hundred times. So I thought I was just going for dinner. And that's all I knew for years, years, even after I married my wife and met her and everything. She's like, oh yeah. She was taking credit. Vanina was taking credit. Oh, yeah, I got you guys together. And I'm like, well, you got us together? What the heck? What do you mean? So she then Moynell told me, yeah, you know, that night after your show and whatever that you guys went and had dinner, she was begging me to, to go. You got to meet my friend. Oh, he's so handsome. He's so nice. You'll like him. She's like, heck no. Especially, oh, my God. you know, especially the more you're trying to force somebody to, like, go meet. You're like, no, wait, wait who is this guy? Oh, no, he's a he's a friend. Oh, heck no, I'm not going to go there. What are you trying to do? I don't need a matchmaker. So it was actually working against me for the fact that she was pushing so hard. So for years, she had been trying this, I guess. I guess subsequently, like the next year we went, the next year, the next year. And every time we would go, she would try and get her to come to a dinner or to a show or something to meet me. Never happened. So as you know, Tahitians, they love to come to the U.S. to shop, right? 
because it's so much cheaper here to oh, shop. Yeah. They love and them. yeah, yeah. So they come here to shop, and uh, even better if they don't have to pay for a hotel, they'll stay with a friend or family member or somebody. So of course, Vanina had me here in the U.S. So every time she would come, well, the whole family, right? The Vanina, the uh, Wida family, or Book family, they would come here and stay with me. So one of the times that she came here in the U.S., she said, oh, yeah, we're coming next week, whatever. Uh, you know, there's a couple of, can we stay at the house? Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, we have a pretty big house, so, you know, you guys can come. She goes, uh, oh, yeah, I have a friend coming, too. Is that okay if I bring a friend? Yeah, no problem. One more person. What's that? So I went to the airport to pick them up. As I always picked them up and either rented them a car, they used my car, whatever. So I went to the airport and picked them up. And I'm waiting there. If you guys know LAX, the Tom Bradley, you wait downstairs and you start seeing like the stewardess come out and then, you know, okay, the people are going to come out soon. You start seeing chalets and stuff. So I'm waiting for them to come out. Just like, okay, hurry up, you know, so we can get out of here because traffic's going to start. And, and then I see this girl come out and like, holy crap, she's beautiful. Like, that has to be the girl that she's talking about. There's no way. Because before that, you see all the tourists come out and stuff. And I'm like, she's Tahitian for sure. But this girl's beautiful. And I know, you know, this is so cliche and this is so whatever, but I don't care because I can say that it's true 100%. Now, I'll parentheses this and say on my part <laughs> that it was love at first sight. Because the first thing that went in my head was, I'm going to marry her. And I still didn't know that this was the person that was with Vanina. You know, I just saw this girl come out and said, I'm going to marry her. It's just a thought that came into my head. It's not like the stupid, you know, like infatuation or just like, a, oh, whatever. I don't know. It's like, and people say, oh, it's not pa, I love at first sight. That's crazy. You see that in a cartoon, right? Like, oh, Wiley Coyote or something. I don't know. One of those cartoons, Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it really, really happened to me. I can assure you 100%. And this is not for a podcast. This is not for a whatever. This is, it really happened to me. And I can say this because after I, uh, you know, people ask my wife later, oh, is the same for you? Uh, no, totally not. You know, that, that's usually her answer. So it's totally true. It was on my side. But uh, wow. so anyways, you know, subsequently, Vanino came out later and said, oh, this is my friend Moina. Actually, I walked up to her and I said, oh, are you with Vanina? Yeah, I'm with Vanina. Oh, so you're the... Per I didn't know the name or anything. Yeah. Uh, and I said, oh, yeah, I thought that was you. Oh, okay. And we spent like the whole week or two weeks. I don't know how long they're here. I forget. Uh, together. And I was just like driving them around, looking in the rearview mirror, you know, like, oh, don't get caught looking at her. Oh, you know, that type of deal, looking the whole time. And when they left, you know, oh, thank you. You know, you're so gracious and whatever. Thanks for hosting us and all this stuff. And, and, uh, I got her email address or her number. I don't even remember what, but now you're I giving started, your page away. <laughs> yeah. I, I started out. No, people still do emails. Come on. People still do email. And, but I will say this was during the time of AOL <laughs> and MySpace. <laughs> so, oh yeah, we exchanged MySpace uh, addresses. <laughs> uh, IDs, nice. And we used to chat with each other on MySpace on MySpace. And it started off by, you know, I'm like, how am I going to get in with this girl, you know, that I'm supposed to marry? And uh, it started off by just, 
oh, I hope you liked your trip here. Did you guys get everything that you guys wanted? And, you know, that type of thing. Oh, if you come next time, let me know, because if you need something, I can show you where to get it. And, you know, it started off kind of like that. And, and uh, you know, she came back and forth a couple of times with Vanina and I was driving them around. And that's kind of how it started off like that. But at some point, I don't even remember exactly at what point the the connection started you know it went from myspace to um skype skype yes yes so yes. skype came along so i went from paying seriously 400 to 600 dollars a month in phone bills wow to zero and that really helped our relationship so if yeah. i had to credit somebody i would credit skype <laughs> what you know game. having a thousands of miles you know six seven thousand mile uh relationship you know skype helped that where we didn't only text, we now got to speak to each other through Skype as long as we wanted and it was free. This was so amazing, right? So we got to uh, speak to each other like that and that was our relationship for a long time. And at the time she was the assistant director of sales for Earth 18 Nui. So she only paid the tax at that time. It was like really cheap, like 40 bucks or something like that to fly back and forth when she wasn't working. And uh, so she would be here like one weekend and then the next weekend, I'd be over there. So like twice a month, I was going to Tahiti. Twice a month, she was coming here. We'd leave on Friday and then come back on Sunday to go straight to work at 5 o'clock early in the morning, even her, straight to Air Tahiti Nui and then that same day that she would arrive. And that was our relationship for about a year. And uh, after about a year, then, uh, yeah, uh, we decided, oh, yeah, we'll be boyfriend and girlfriend. And then eventually, you know, uh, we got engaged. It helped that I had a friend that was working. I work for Homeland Security. I have a lot of connections. This came afterwards. So, but anyways, in that same, you know, again, it's all about connections, right? You know, a friend of a friend of a friend. In one of our dance groups, I think it was through Lokilani's, one of the drummers, uh, he worked for immigration, uh, custom and immigration, right? So he heard that, you know, my fiance was going to come here and we're going to get uh, married and all this. So I started off by just like asking questions like, Oh, like, how does it work? Or I heard you have to be married like so many years or this and whatever. So they gave me a lot of advice. So the way that we actually did it was um, before she moved here officially, she moved here officially in December of 2006, but since the plans were already there that she was going to do this like way ahead of time, in August of 2006, with his advice on one of her trips here, she just came in on the regular entry as a tourist, right, on the tourist entry, and it, it, man, this has been like 16 years already, so I don't remember the exact numbers, you know, K1 and all that, whatever. Right, right. Okay, but she came in on the regular, you know, they fill out the regular little card when they come in as a visitor. And he said that was very important for later on um, because she came here as a visitor and she left as a married person. So she came in here and we got married in the court and she just came for like three days. She came here, we got married in the court. So now we're official. Our timeline starts and we're official. We're officially a married couple. And she came in and she left three days later and she would, I would, I would fly back over there in December. And then we both came in and this time she came in under the green one, the green uh, card that you fill out, not as a visitor, um, but as a married person, because they said, if you come in as, 
otherwise, then it's different. I don't know what, what their whole technicalities were. But uh, if you come in as a visitor and you get married, they can't make you leave. As uh, She still came back in as a visitor, but she, was, she had a married status as coming back in. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, was, it was different what was explained to us, but mind you, it, it was years later, right? So yeah. I'm sure policies with each, what I learned was with each administration that changes, mm-hmm. everything gets changed. Because even now, um, they doubled the price from even when we did it. And it wasn't oh, that yeah. long ago. So um, I can so, tell I mean, you they're changing policies, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's all technicalities, but I, I guess the reason was because the second time she still came in as a visitor, but as a different type of visitor. And uh, his reasoning was because if she's here as a visitor and then you establish a, uh, a marriage, right? During the time that you're here, they're not going to make you leave. They're not going to deport you because you're married. So they still have to go through a process. And during that process, that process takes a long time, takes months, sometimes, you know, a year or more. During that time that you're, you're waiting, you're going to apply for her green card, right? So during the time that she came in in December, she came in still under a visitor. But then when we applied, we applied as a married couple. So then they have to go into this process that kind of delays it. So it's just to basically to buy time, right? So then we applied right away, like the next day or whatever. And that started the whole process. And then she's never going to leave because you just keep applying for an extension if you need it. And they're not going to kick out a, a husband and wife. So they'll extend it, extend it until there's a judgment. So then we filled out the, the other ones. I forgot what it's called, the four something, 400 something. Then you do that and then you wait two years. I don't know if they change that, but you have to be married for two years. And then you go in for the interview and you can uh, extend it, right? You can extend, you can remove the conditions. So you have conditional residency. And then after you apply after like two years, you can apply to remove the conditions, which means they can come back and forth, go to Tahiti, come back as many times as they want to, no conditions. They got their green card and everything. And then after two years, I think at this point it was three years, uh, then you can apply for citizenship, nat- uh, naturalized citizen, right? So then that's what we did after the third year. We applied for the citizenship, which was granted. And then we eventually, uh, you know, went and did the oath at the convention center. She did her oath with everybody and she got her citizenship later on, uh, which is interesting for a lot of Tahitians because they have parents or siblings that they're really close to and they like to come for more than three months. Right. So then we applied for my mother-in-law, her mom. Uh, you know, as a mom of a citizen, she then applied for her mom. Oh, so, so, <laughs> yeah. So now she has her residency here and she can come and stay as long as she wants. Within that time frame, she became a citizen. And then you guys have two beautiful daughters, right? So yes, Nanihi and Mohiti, Jalen. How has it been teaching them between the three languages? Actually four, right? Because I know that there's different languages going on. But how has that been from them um, being raised here? Obviously, I see, I see photos, right? They go back and forth. But what has that been like for you guys, right? I mean, you have, a, you have a really good sense of, you have a good like linguistic compass, I'd say, more than others about um, how to jump back and forth between the languages. But what has it been like, like raising them? And what are your observations with how well they retain the language? I'm curious about that. You know, and I'll preface this by saying, uh, you know, most people know us now by our online platform, Polylingual, where we teach the Reo Teiti. 
And uh, polylingual is going to be much more than this is not like a shameful plug, but it just goes along with what you're saying. Oh, because plug, even, go, go, eventually go. polylingual, you know, our whole vision for polylingual is to be the source of all indigenous Polynesian languages. So um, later this year or next year, you know, our next language we're going to launch will be Fijian and Maori. So, and then, you know, in the future, all the other ones that go along with it. But we started with Reo Teiti, of course, because that's our, the strongest connection. My wife is Tahitian and that's her language. And, you know, that's a language that I've uh, practiced and followed for many years. So um, being around that, and the reason why I say that is because almost everything we do here at home revolves around that. It revolves around the Reo Teiti. So it was kind of easy and kind of not easy at the same time. And our platform polylingual came because of our kids. Even in my case, you know, because uh, I have a Hispanic background too, right? And I grew up speaking Spanish as well. People ask, oh, do your kids speak Spanish? Uh, No, they don't, you know, and that's kind of the case in a lot of households. You know, if you speak the language, a lot of time you don't like share that with your kids. And we found it very important, you know, very important for them to do that. We didn't want to make the same mistakes that, others make and the same mistake that we have been making for a lot of years my wife and I had uh, you know with kids a lot of times if you speak another language you try and we call it our secret language so for a lot of years French was our secret language because we're kind of not we're doing bad twice we're not only not teaching them but we're kind of talking behind their back so they wouldn't understand what we're saying like oh don't give her this you better give her broccoli you know or else she's not going to eat it so don't give her that ice cream and then you know what? I'm, I'm just making up. Stuff, but, no, no, you know, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But eventually we got to a point where they started understanding. They're like, oh, you just want us, huh? That's you. I know you said that because you don't want us to. We're like, oh, dang, they understood, you know, and it kind of opened both of our eyes more so more now. She's like, oh, man, what are we doing? You know, we're doing exactly everything that we're telling others not to not do. You know, we got to share the language, share the culture. And here we are, like hiding it. My wife, Moy now being Moy now. She went 100% on, I'm going to teach my kids. We got to teach them French. She made these whole lesson plans. It's almost like they were in school, you know, like homeschooling of French and Tahitian. When she put all of it together, this was like a collegiate curriculum, you know. It's like, wow, you can put this in any college, you can put it in, and this is really great. Why are we keeping this just for our kids, you know, and being exposed to all the groups Throughout the years over here, you know, as she was coming with me to practices and competitions and stuff, she saw that other groups would benefit from this as well. And other groups of people, you know, other Polynesians or other groups, you know, there was there was a need for this. And why would we just keep this when it's our the work is mostly done, you know, that she did for the kids. And so we developed it a little bit more than that to create the online platform. And so we use that to teach our kids and, and then now zoom and all these other things, messenger, and uh, we can do lives and they kept a connection with the grandma. The grandma comes all the time. You know, my mother-in-law Rosita, she comes all the time here in the United States and my, she doesn't speak English, you know, very small phrases and words, but uh, she would speak to the kids in French and Tahitian and being around that. And then on Zoom, they Zoom with her all the time. And then at home, you know, uh, we try and incorporate as much, you know, a little French that we can, especially um, more now, since we know that they understand. Now they got to the point or where they, they're pretty proficient. And of course, they're, when they speak, uh, they're, they, they become less shy now. But uh, now that they're speaking, 
uh, French. I'll just talk about French first. They speak it with a lot more confidence, like they're not shy anymore because they realize, wow, almost 99.9% of everybody here doesn't speak French in the US and they're impressed by the little bit that I do. So when they're, you know, when they're in school on Sky, you know, on their Zoom classes in school, they're like, oh, how do you say this in French, uh, Nanihi or Mohiti? And then they'll tell them, or you know how sometimes the teachers will say, oh, merci. And then they'll correct them. No, it's not merci. It's merci, you know, <laughs> you know like, like stuff like that. So they're finding that it's a positive thing. Right. E even with an accent or whatever, they're like, well, I'm at the top of the grade here in the U.S. So they're not very intimidated. Of course, when we go back and forth to Tahiti, it's a little bit, you know, more shy on speaking it. We all go through that. But uh, as far as comprehension, they totally understand. And I will say this, French from France and French from Tahiti is totally different. Completely. I can understand 100% Tahitians. Same. But when I'm speaking with a French person, I'm like, what language are you speaking? I don't understand anything. Yeah. And that's kind of how I learned. I learned right. from DVDs when I first started to try and learn. I would rent them and then put subtitles. Right. Oh, man, I learned from the worst example possible, you know, right. like, oh, like, stop spitting on me, you know, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, completely different. Yeah, completely, totally. They're such clever girls, right? And, and one thing, too, I think it was, I don't know how far Polylingual had already been, you know, out there and how much, what time frame this was, but there was one time that, because uh, Vaira, she doesn't speak like slow or anything. And I think my boys went outside to play on the trampoline with your girls and Vaireo was um, yelling at the boys to do something. And then the, uh, your younger daughter was, was answering her back. No, no, he didn't climb up. <laughs> he, he, he didn't climb up there. He was just going, he was going down on his own. And I was like, uh, my, my jaw dropped, right? Cause I was like, <laughs> she spoke and, and you know, Vaireo, she's like other Tahitian people, she, she'll mix Vaireo Tahiti yeah. and French, right? And, and the girls completely understood her. Oh and yeah. They answered back, right? Yeah, and they oh, answered yeah. her back. I was so amazed by that. I was like, wow. Yeah, hey, they, they totally yeah. understand now. I mean, you yeah. know, kids are kids are really like sponges and and I'll use this as another uh what do you call it? Not teaching moment, but advice moment is uh teach them now. It's so easy to teach a kid. They they literally are like sponges, you know, we say it all the time, but kids are sponges. If they learn it now, oh my goodness. I wish I would have learned it when I was younger. I learned it when I was older and it's not impossible. I'll tell you guys, a lot of people use that as a crutch. Oh, I'm too old now. It'll be too hard to learn. No, it's not harder. It's just your, your motivation behind it. If you're motivated, you'll learn. I literally learned French, I'll say over like a summer. And, and that's not saying to the point where I am now, to the point where I can at least like say something to somebody, you know, I'm hungry, I'm tired, uh, whatever. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Absolutely. So, I mean, but if the intentions are there and the motivation's there, you will learn it. And the, of course, from kids, the motivation's there. They want to know what you're talking about them. So right. <laughs> kids fully understand that. And for the Reo side, Reo Teiti side, the thing that really opened their ears and their motivation, it's one thing to have a parent want to try and teach you something, but kids, they never want to really listen what their parents are saying or learn from a parent, right? And like, oh, we have to learn French or, you know, and I think that's usually the problem between families, like transmitting the language 
that is not their first language, you know. I think the motivation came when they started dancing again because they they went to a point they were dancing before, then they stopped dancing, then they started dancing again. And especially for my youngest one, uh, Mohiti, Jalen, she uh, was asked to be the Ratira for the Tamari'i group in a competition. She was Tahitian, first of all, you know, it's like, oh, a Tahitian girl. Doesn't necessarily mean they speak Tahitian, but, you know, it's always like a first go-to, like, oh, you're Tahitian? Oh, you want to do that? First, she's very outspoken. She's our outspoken one, right? She kind of takes after me. Like, you got to get the hook out and pull her off stage or else she'll stay out there all day. She's very, uh, I think, fluent in her pronunciation, you know, for the most part. She picks up, she's a good parrot. You know, you tell her to say it a certain way and she picks up the accent right away, the intonations and the drama, the dramatic part of it. She just loves it. So she was asked to be that Atira and she took that role very seriously. And not only did she learn her words, I'm like, oh, wow, great. You memorized your words. They put her on the spot, you know, like, oh, can you tell us what you're saying? She went line for line telling them, uh, you know, exactly what she was saying. Oh, see right here, it's talking about the bird. Oh, yeah, it's the bird. And what did it do? Oh, it's talking about flying. And on the land, I'm like, wow, she really understands it too, what she's saying, you know. The only way you can teach, if you're saying you're teaching somebody the language, is to teach them what they're, the meaning behind it and, you know, why that word is there, why it's said like this, or not just teaching them to memorize it. You know, a lot of us, we can memorize good for memorize, but you got to also know what you're saying too. That's a true perpetuation, right? So now every time they're in practice, uh, you know, that's, they, they try and speak more when, when they're asked. So um, that's cool. And then my, my other daughter, Nanihi too, she's a drummer. So she tries, she learns the beats, the pay and, and the different names of them and stuff like that. I, you know, I keep talking about our companies, but it's important because that plays a big role in how they're learning all this. But we also launched a book that my wife wrote and it's called Aoritereo, um, right? Dance the language. And we use people's passion for the oriteiti to learn the reo teiti. And since my daughters are in the ori teiti, they took a big interest in this because this took months to put together. So they heard months of my wife editing videos and us talking about, you know, all these different phrases and, and me translating, you know, I translated into Spanish and corrects the English versions and my wife doing French and Tahitian and just constantly hearing all these videos and the back and forth conversations. We had a, a Japanese translator, so we'd translate back and forth. And I don't know, maybe my kids are going to be speaking Japanese soon. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyways, just being surrounded and immersed. And I think that's the key to any of this is the immersion in the language. You'll learn it faster and you'll learn it better if you're immersed. People who have been to Tahiti, you know, people will roll their eyes. The people who don't speak French or Tahitian say, oh, but you've been to Tahiti before. Yeah, well, Hello, go to Tahiti if you if you feel bad about it. You know, that's the place where you're around it all day. Oh, but you're lucky because they speak it all day. Over there. Uh, yeah, you can speak it all day here if you want. You don't have to go to Tahiti. Of course, it's better because you're around it everywhere. You're reading signs in French and Tahitian. Here, there's we're not in Tahiti. So you got to do your best without it. But if you really want to learn it quickly, good, better, whatever you want to say, go to Tahiti. Yeah, Nothing's yeah, stopping you. Go to Tahiti. Mm -hmm. And that's really where you'll learn it. So, and I think that's what really helped was the immersion because not only were we trying to teach them Tahitian and French at home, but because of our companies that put them into a full immersion, it was by default, they're learning it because our whole hundred percent of our day was French and Tahitian, French and Tahitian, like uh, to tag on that, 
That's what helped me. And that's the advantage that I had. When we started our first company, it was putting into adventures. And basically, I call it a passenger transport company. But what we would do is we talked about the Tahitians coming here to shop. Well, we had these vans that were like the OCTA, like short buses. And we would pick up people, take them to their hotel, and then we would organize shopping tours. All I would do, I did this for, I think, seven years, was take Tahitian people every day shopping. And I started off speaking my jeune parlez pas francaise. And, you know, it turned into what it is today because of that, because every day I have that. And again, it all goes back to immersion, you know. As we're trying to build, um, like, yes, there's this existing Oriteti community, but with each passing year that goes by and as the kids are getting older, this Tahitian American families community that we've been building has gotten bigger and bigger. And my question for you is, since our diasporas are so spread, right? You guys are in LA. There's a lot of people in LA, but there's a lot of people in Utah. There's a lot of families in Hawaii, Florida. In your eyes, working with so many different types of people, how can we do better to bridge our, our diasporas together so our families are more connected? It, do, you, do you think we have to meet more often? Do you think we have to keep at it with the online efforts, a little of both? What do you say? even think that's a problem anymore it's just making the effort to do it you know i mean we have zoom we have all these different things you don't have to have a physical connection we have a connection with for example our family in tahiti and we have conversation every time we have a birthday here we have our zoom on and they're able to to see our kids blow out candles you know or vice versa when they have a, a family event over there that we can go to a marriage or something oh man they're live streaming you know but the importance is to keep a connection, no matter what the connection is. Of course, it's always good to get together physically, you know. Uh, it's not always possible, though, you know, and, and don't always see that as a negative thing like, oh, man, we can't be together. That means we can't see each other. It's great. That's the basis of all Polynesian uh, activity, right, It's to be together. But together doesn't necessarily mean physically, you know, before it, it may have meant that but it doesn't now you know we're connected to the world thanks to these devices a lot of people are shy from these devices or don't like devices like that but you know what things change in everything in a culture in a language in the world if you ask our kids and say oh we didn't get to go to the nanu's birthday in tahiti yeah we did we were on it last night yeah but we weren't there oh but we saw all right it it's, doesn't make a difference in their mind you know so why are we going to change their interpretation of that, you know? Now, for the, for the older people, you know, the elders in our communities, they're still in the old school, right? And not necessarily the elders, maybe people our age or older or it doesn't matter. Some people are still of that, you know, they need that physical connection. So it's great. You know, you and Vedia have created some stuff and, uh, you know, some people out here have created avenues where uh, Polynesians can meet, right? even competitions. It's a great place. People are going there for one reason. It's to share the culture, right? So what better place? Use that as an excuse. We'll say excuse, right? Not even reason. Okay, let's go to Merced. I saw Merced, you guys were there and a couple people joined Marie and you know a couple other people. Uh, that's a great excuse. Why? Because they're there for one reason to share the culture, right? It's not to like, oh, let's come and, uh, you know, gossip. Oh, wow. Gossip is part of the culture, but, <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. People are going there to share the Polynesian right. culture. So we can use avenues like that. And I know you and Berea are the Tahitian American uh, group. 
you know, has plans for everybody to group together and, and come together for an event, you know, uh, whatever uh, that's going to eventually be. I think those things are great because then you can share firsthand your experiences and with different people, you know, it's almost like speed dating. You can meet everybody at once when you're on a zoom you're at the mercy of whoever's talking. One person's talking, you're not going to talk on top of it, but when you're together, you know, you can talk to different people at different times and, you know, you, you have the whole night and you can share food. Food is a huge part of the culture about gathering around a table and sharing a meal together. That's a huge part. When now and I were recently, we love languages. So, you know, especially since we're going to be producing these languages on our site. Um, so we joined a Samoan language school and we've been learning Samoan language and uh, people are like eating on there and in any other group, you know, the leader will probably say, oh, can you guys uh, just pay attention? Don't, you know, don't eat or in class or, you know, there's different rules. Uh, but this uh, teacher, he said, oh, that's great that you're eating. That's wonderful. Eat, eat. Yeah, that's, you know, enjoy yourself. And I thought, well, you know what? That's actually great. As much as I hate, like when people chew, like, oh, man, your mic is off. I'm good with it. That's cool. <laughs> but uh, I just appreciated the fact that they said, no, go ahead and eat. You know why? Because that is a connection of everything. When anytime anything happens, you go to church, you know, you're going to eat after. Oh, we're going to meet for food after. Oh, you're going to birthday. Oh, what's the food? Oh, wedding. What am I going to make for food to bring there? What do you want me to make? How am I helping to make the food? Who's going to cook the food? Big portion, big percentage of Polynesian culture comes from that food aspect. So uh, I think it's good to come together. When it's not possible to come together, though, uh, take any chance that we can, a Zoom uh, competition, uh, whatever, just to be surrounded by the culture. Again, that immersion, right? You don't have to be immersed every day, but when opportunities like that come up, take your kids over there. Even if they don't pay attention, let me tell you, you know, weeks down the line, they'll say, oh, yeah, do you see that, that dress that lady was wearing? They see everything. You know, even if they don't appreciate it in the moment, like, oh, we're going to this thing, we're going to sit there and just listen to Tahitian music or, you know, they'll retain something from it. So any chance you get, take them, take yourself, blog on, watch somebody's blog, watch somebody's podcast, listen to somebody's podcast, watch a competition, go to a competition. And I think any way that you can keep some kind of connection uh, it's very important. And whatever that connection works out to be for you, whether physically or online, then then do it. But you can't not have a connection. Don't let it get to a point where you're like, oh, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been around Tahitian. So I don't even remember how to speak French or it's gotten really bad. Don't let it get to that point. If you if you've gotten to the point where you are, maintain it, however it is. Call and talk to Ryan or call and talk to somebody, whoever's in your area and you know, speak French, speak Tahitian, or broken, who cares, broken or not, English, French, Franglish, whatever you want to call it, speak however, but just speak. So I'll just start off by saying everybody in my life who has helped me in the Oriteti, Reoteti, Teiti journey, I'll say thank you to everybody, uh, whether it be a group leader, a friend, family, everybody included, because I don't want to miss anybody. And I think it's a big disrespect if I highlight anybody because nobody has been the single factor in my journey. Everybody has played a part, small or big, in, in their role in my life, um, myself included. You know, I did a lot of hard work. It, it, it's not just show up and I know everything, show up and I speak French, show up. 
there's a lot of hard work behind that too. So everybody needs to thank themselves and be grateful to themselves and be proud of themselves. And I am all of that for myself. And that's not an ego, you know, cause I, I'm not the best, uh, but I'm definitely not the worst. And that's because of the hard work behind it. Um, I try every day. I'm a forever student and I can accept that I am a teacher and perpetuator of the language. And I say that proudly. Thank you for all of those past you know, the, the people that have gone in the past and have done all that work too, so that we can do what we do now. And I'll thank in advance all of those who will do it in the future, you know, all those who are doing it now in whatever form and all of those who will do it in the future. Maybe it'll be our kids. Maybe it won't be. Maybe that's not their thing. And we can't expect that from them either. We can put them around it. You know, we can try and teach them it, uh, lead them in, in, in that way. But we can't force them. The minute you force them, then, then they'll shut down. They won't want to do it. So thank you to everybody. You know, I don't highlight anybody, but this person doesn't count as anybody. This is my wife, Moynao. So yes, thank you to her. Uh, because of her, uh, my language and my understanding and everything of the Tahitian culture has become better. You know, uh, I was already there before. You know, I was already at a, at a level. I'll say at a level before but she takes me to a higher level and everything and keeping me accountable and having somebody right there that is from the source and not too many people, even if they're from the source can speak about it, you know, not just because you're from Tahiti doesn't mean you speak Tahitian, not just because you're from Tahiti means, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm lucky that, uh, you know, we complement each other, you know, it works vice versa, but definitely thank you to her for, uh, for putting up with my attitude, I'll say too, because, you know, when, once you get to a certain level, especially here in the U.S., like, oh, I, I know what I'm doing in, in Orero. Oh, no, I know what I'm doing in uh, Reo. Oh, I can uh, do uh, Oriteiti. But you can always learn and, you know, take criticism. Uh, there's no bad criticism. There's just criticism, right? People present it badly, uh, then they present it badly, but it's not bad criticism because that means there is something there to look at. So always hold yourself accountable. If somebody's telling you something, then then look at it. Maybe it is something you can work on. Yeah, I'll just say that. Thank you for for having this avenue too. You know, it's a, another avenue. A lot of people create their spaces, and this is a great space for not only the people that are speaking because we can also learn from it too. I'm sure I'll listen back and I'll learn from a lot of stuff. Oh wow, really? I went through that. Wow, I can probably change this and stuff. But also for people who are listening maybe it can help them too. You know, a lot of people are shy and, you know, a lot of times we come across this a lot, um, especially as teachers of the Reo Teiti is people say, Oh, I'll never be able to, to, uh, to speak like you. Oh, I'll never be able to. Yeah. No matter what you say, Oh, I'm American. Oh, you know, but you know what? Oh, I thought I will never be like you, like you, like you. I thought I'll never say one word. And here I am later to the point where I am now. It's not, the best but you know it's way far from where i began and uh so I'll, i th- i think i'll just end you know since this whole thing talks about uh, you know the hero tt the real tt and stuff like that i'll give you guys a, a challenge too you know i mean uh, a lot of people like these challenges in, in this world of digital age and stuff like that they they like to be challenged i'll challenge you this you know st- stop your shyness a little bit and when we're confident we become less shy uh, even if you have to memorize a phrase, a line or something, you know, learn a word a day or a phrase a day and just keep that or, or a phrase a month. If you can't handle a phrase a day, a phrase a month. And eventually at the beginning, you'll just be memorizing stuff. 
But later on, the more you say it, the more you're going to know what you're, you're saying, you know, and, and it, that's where it starts. 